0: It's a community this is a community-based isp you're part of the community we want you to feel that you're in it with us it's just a really cool experience to work for like a, a small place that actually cares about something other than just the bottom line
1: welcome to episode 438 of the community broadband bits podcast this is rye marketilio mccracken here at the institute for local self-reliance today christopher talks with steve lang it manager for the city of wadsworth in eastern ohio The city of 26,000 first built its hybrid fiber-coax network, called CityLink, all the way back in 1997. Steve shares the history of the municipal network, starting with the desire to bring more competition to the town. Unlike in many other places, though Wadsworth has a municipal electric department, CityLink is a separate entity. Steve tells Christopher how the network has built momentum over the last few years, moving from 2,000 subscribers in 2017 to more than 5,400 today which he attributes to the network's increasingly thoughtful and proactive approach to managing its infrastructure and customer service. Finally, they talk about the value of choosing what to do wisely and doing it well. Now here's Christopher talking with Steve.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota, talking today with Steve Lang at the uh, city of Wadsworth, where he is the IT manager uh, there in Wadsworth, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Steve.
0: Thanks for having me, Chris.
2: Uh, you and I were on a, uh, a Broadband Bunch show. We did a, a panel, which there's still a video for, with uh, the folks from uh, ETI Software. And uh, on that, I was just realizing that I'd never talked about Wadsworth on this show. So I really appreciate you coming on to, to do an interview.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I remember that podcast. That was pretty fun. And it was uh, my first time really getting um, exposure to these types of podcasts. I've listened to them before, but never really been on them. So.
2: Oh, great. So you're a pro now.
0: Yeah, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express once, so I've got one under my (laughs) belt and ready to rock and roll.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. So you're in you're in Eastern Ohio, um, about 25,000 people in Wadsworth. Tell us just a little bit about that region.
0: Sure. So, um, yeah, Wadsworth's in northeastern Ohio. Um, It's a uh, it's a really small town, a real community driven sort of atmosphere. You know, I was actually born and raised in Wadsworth, so you know it's near and dear to my heart, and um, I was fortunate enough back in 2006 to uh, get hired in to work for the city, so now I get to work for a community that that I, you know, grew up in and all that, so um, I enjoy it. The, the community is great. It's a real close-knit community, um, great education and school system, everybody in the city that that seems to really uh, care about the, the citizens and trying to just do the best job to make the right decisions to, uh, to make the city do well and to make the citizens uh, enjoy living there, so...
2: Excellent. So that was, um, you, you came on then about nine years or so into the city's, uh, foray into, uh, HFC building, uh, having built a cable network, you inherited that after it was well on its way. Um, can you just give us a little bit of background before your time as to why they decided to do that?
0: In the nineties, um, there was a pretty large cable, uh, conglomerate, I would say, I guess in town yeah. and they I like they to call them monopolies, monopolies. Okay. That is yeah. the word we'll use. Yes. So, um, then they're still in town today, but they were the only provider uh, for cable TV back back in the 80s and 90s. And the city at one point just kind of thought, man, you know, the, do we want our residents to have to pay this much for this type of service? And they uh, started looking into it. And um, I don't know what exactly was the ultimate decision or, or how they got the money, but um, uh, they they decided that they were going to launch their own offering and get some competition just to give people a choice and to hopefully lower the bill because they thought that even if people didn't sign up for the city-driven service that would be upcoming, at least the people on the current monopoly would still benefit too, because their bill should be lower. You know, and it was really for driven for the city residents. So they launched the, running the, the hybrid uh, coax fiber network in uh, 1997. Well, they started just uh, with cable TV. And then in 2001, they expanded that to include uh, DOCSIS and cable modem services. So that's really when we started offering the internet and uh, yeah, so I came on five years after that. So uh, I believe the fire, a lot of the fiber was ran in the city around 1993 because they were even before they wanted to get into this whole, you know, cable television internet thing. They had the forethought to um, realize that in order to connect all the city buildings and also the school systems buildings uh, that we needed to have a pretty diverse and redundant and uh, pretty impressive fiber network. So a lot of work was done by, Uh, people I still work with today um, uh, with that. And uh, the, the one driving factor here is there's more, we're way more than just one or two or three people involved with something like this. I mean, there are teams and teams of people that are, that makes something like this happen. So it's really Mm -hmm. impressive. The service ultimately is the culmination of all those people's efforts and what they do to provide a good product for for the city.
2: Now, the story is in some ways familiar to this audience in that uh, your city has a municipal electric department, uh, but in some ways quite different because uh, the network is not actually under the electric department. It is its own thing. Uh, So tell us just, I mean, when you say about the city running fiber Even whether you have the municipal electric or not, I should say that the early 90s is earlier than many places started running their own fiber. So that certainly shows good forethought. Um, But when when the city was organizing it, how did they organize who owns the cable network?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's various aspects of it. So the electric department does, since they interact with the utility poles, they own a, a large portion of that and they have run a good portion of that for us as well. I know there is some other work that's done more from like, from the utility pole to the, to the homes, it's maybe more on the um, uh, communication side of things, which they'll say, but it's a, it's a mixture. But the electric department certainly is, is a key factor in why we were able to do it in the first place because owning your own utility poles is a huge benefit to, to getting into this type of arena. So uh, massive kudos to our electric department for all the work they do and making it possible. And I, I think the city at this point, you know, if there's an electric issue, the electric department tends to, to handle that. And sometimes that affects the fiber that's on those same lines and everything, but there's Mm -hmm. plenty of times where the communication crew and the fiber technicians, they have to go out and do splicing. I can just think of um, actually this last, this last weekend, um, we had some serious wind in Ohio. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you guys saw any of that, but I mean, last Sunday, just absolutely devastating winds all day long, uh, 50, 60 mile an hour gusts. And so that caused, a real decent amount of, um, you know, fiber to be down and, and, and power outages and things of that nature that had to to get uh, repaired. And I know the electric crew and other crews and things were working all night long to get that repaired. So I'm sure
2: it was God's retribution for something that Ohio State did. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Big Ten country. We always gotta gotta beat each other's struts a little bit.
0: Oh yeah, big game uh, <laughs> coming up this Saturday too for sure.
2: Um, but uh, well, I guess one of the things that I'm I'm really interested in also is just how the the broadband and the cable television network are structured. They're kind of their own entity, aren't they?
0: Yeah. So basically, um, the Link is sort of um, it's called we call it the enterprise side of the budget. You know, we've got the government side, and we never want to use government dollars uh, to fund anything on the city link side, the enterprise side. So we keep separate books. The only money that goes into the city link side is revenue generated from subscribers. So that keeps it nice and clean. And uh, we, they try to do a real good job of kind of keeping those things separate and everything. So um, we have installers that go to people's homes and actually, you know, connect the service up. We have, um, and those installers work on the drops from the utility poles to the houses as well. And we have um, CSRs, customer service reps. So that's who you would call if you ever had to, you know, have a problem after the service is installed. There's dedicated um, fiber technicians that do all the fiber splicing and, and also set up some, some new work, new construction when new areas are being built. There's obviously managers for the department that need to coordinate things and, and everything. And there's a whole other set of CSRs that do scheduling for those appointments and cable TV troubleshooting. We offer VoIP services for phones, so there's that aspect. I mean, there's there's so many different aspects. There's on the IT side that I manage. There's even a group of system administrators that are doing like you know routing changes, BGP changes, all these crazy uh, server and storage uh, modifications and anything they need. So really, like I said earlier. If it's not for all those people in all those different areas, this service just doesn't happen. And the reason why it's been so successful is because we've got a lot of talented people that all strive for a common goal to provide the best service for the citizens of Wadsworth.
2: Now, for a while, CSRs, I think were, um, it was a contracted out kind of position, and then you brought it in-house. And I guess I'm curious a little bit about that transition, but also do your uh, CSRs now, is it like if I call a number, I'll get someone who could help me with electricity or sewer or um, cable, or am I just going to get someone who just helps with cable?
0: That's a great question. So on the CityLink side of things, we've always had in-house support, but it used to be that after... A certain hour of the day we would go to a um, third-party call center that would handle like our nights and weekends so about two years ago um, we decided to change that model and they are now handling in-house calls all day long and nights and weekends they're, t- they're doing their own support as well where it gets a little interesting is because you know we've got CityLink, which is internet and cable and phone and then you've got the electric department, which handles your electricity and, and your normal utilities as well. There's actually possibly three different numbers that you'd have to call. Mm. So, you know, if you needed electric electric help, it's this number, other things, it's that. And you, other utilities like water and trash pickup, it's a, it's a third number. So about a year ago, um, and this process has been slowed down due to the pandemic and everything, there was another decision made to try to merge the utility side and the CityLink side as far as a call center goes. So that way we could kind of train both sets of employees on both sides of that, each business and all that. So there's a little bit of that happening right now, just so we can make it a little easier on a resident so they don't have to call so many different numbers and things like that. That's kind of our the vision. We also, it's interesting, our water treatment plant, um, they they are 24-7 shop, obviously, due to EPA regulations. So our electric number even bounces to um, the water treatment plant after a certain time of day, just because they're still staffed, and then they can get a hold of people in electric if there's an outage and things after hours so
2: the network it seems like i mean just backing up the number of people and and over the summer you'd said you had fifty four hundred subs, I think um and so that suggests to me that that you're doing quite well, that you probably have more than half of the market or approaching half the market, which must be make you the market leader. You must have more subs than anyone else in the market so um, and that's something you attribute to word of mouth mostly apparently.
0: Yeah, this, this, in this business word of mouth, I think is everything. And it all goes back to what the subscribers experience is. You know, if they're, if they're really happy with their, with their service, they're going to go out of their way to talk about it to their friends and family and anybody else that is mentioning that their internet might not be that great or whatever, you know? So I would say we started a huge, just complete rebranding and shift of focus probably about five years ago, certainly in the last three years, it's really picked up pace and, uh, you know, we, we tried to change that model. I mean, we weren't always, um, in this spot, you know, when I started, we were see five years in or so on the internet side. And we had about 2000 subscribers when I started maybe 2,500, somewhere around there. And we were kind of viewed as like, um, yeah, that's internet connectivity, but it's not the fastest, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's there and it's reasonable and it gives us a choice and that's great. And, and I can't even say that that theory was wrong at the time, you know, we were still in our infancy trying to get things going, still trying to figure things out. And, but now, I mean, I would say starting around, you know, 2017 or so, uh, certainly since then it's completely changed. I mean, we, now you've got a bunch of people that have been here a while that understand this equipment. They understand this business. We've made changes. We've learned things because we've been growing. We've been getting more revenue with more subscribers. So we dump that money back into the infrastructure. And now we, It used to be more like kind of more reactive, I would say. Uh, Oh, this is is happening. Now we need to do this because, you know, we're kind of still getting the system going. But now I would say it's 100% proactive. I mean, you're looking people are reviewing uh, trends, they're reviewing usages in different neighborhoods. And when it starts to even get in like the low 70% of utilization, people are saying, let's get the let's get some more space there, or more speed, more bandwidth before it becomes an actual need. So we're actually making adjustments now to neighborhoods before these people even see a problem. And we're staying ahead of the game now. And by doing that over the last three years, I mean, it's people are just loving the service. The service is fantastic. It's super reliable. You know, you get local support. If something goes wrong, you've got a crew out there quickly fixing it. I've I've heard stories of, you know, businesses have called in at like maybe 10 o'clock in the morning and I, and they're like, Oh, I want to get hooked up. I'm sick with my current, sick of my current provider. And we're saying something like, well, we could be out there at one o'clock today. How does that sound? (laughs) And they go, today? I mean, That's like three hours from now or something. What are you talking about? You know, and they're just used to the mindset of if I call, it's going to be two weeks before I see someone out here to install it. And it's just a different mindset. And, you know, being able to have a smaller service area, we feel that we can provide much greater service than anybody else can. And uh, and we've been proving that over the years. And it's translated into people spreading the word that, hey, you should be with CityLink. Oh, you're not happy? Go with CityLink. You know, they've got great speeds, they're reliable, they're fast. And we don't have slowdowns at any point in the day. Anybody can watch a video or anything at any point in the day. And there's no, I mean, sure, we have peaks, but we don't have peaks that actually affect your performance. We're we're pretty proud of it.
2: Right. Well, one of the things that I found interesting was it looks to me like you must have been on the early side of Doxis 3 um, You converted over in 2012, I think. And um, that was, I mean, I, I could be rem- remembering incorrectly, but it strikes me that there was very few conversions that early. Most of them came later, I thought.
0: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we did migrate in uh, 2012 to Docs 3 but... Um a lot of this has to do with the equipment you choose too, because the equipment we chose back then, it didn't offer all the same features as the equipment obviously we're using now. And that's just the nature of technology as things get better. But if if people are listening and they're getting to in, get into this industry, I mean, you're, if we would have chose a different product uh, than what we chose uh, in 2017, it, we would not be able to do the same things that we're doing now. It's crazy that, you know, we're, we're so happy that we selected the route we did and, and that comes with experience though. You know, if we, put that whole thing back in the 2006 era when I joined I don't know if we would have made the same move cuz sometimes you you need to see it with your own eyes and see the the benefits and the disadvantages yourself before you really understand it.
2: Let's explore that for a second because as someone who hasn't been in your position uh what I would imagine the thing to do would be you know you you have to put out an RFI, right, or some kind of RFP and and then look at the proposals. And what I would assume would be the best practice would be to try to like talk to some other folks who are running similar networks to see what they're doing and that sort of a thing. And, and then that should give you enough information. But um, obviously, you know, you're saying that the experience that you built up, like what did you do that you that others might not have done? Like what did you learn over those 10 years that that you made sure you picked the right gear?
0: I mean we did that too when we even when we were thinking about upgrading our gear we would talk to other communities that are running ISPs we would drive there and see what they're doing and talk to their their uh, employees and stuff like that and you just anything you can pick up you know sometimes it doesn't really sink in until you get in it yourself i mean well th- the big thing that we learned is that uh, the equipment we used to have it you know it would only allow you to put so many Uh, channels uh, for people that aren't aware like cable internet's based on the amount of like tv channels that you dedicate to it basically so you're sort of strapping these channels together and creating sort of like a pipe with that and so the equipment we had back in 2012 yeah it was Docsis 3 and it got us to the, the latest generation that was there but it was very limited on the amount that it could scale and the more pipe that you could get to it. It worked at the time, but when you start gaining subscribers, you can outgrow equipment, you know, pretty easily. So there's some equipment out there. Um, and I don't, I don't want to necessarily say it on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but if someone wants to reach out, that's fine. But um, there's other equipment out there that will let you uh, scale much more. And, you know, it might be the kind of thing where maybe that piece of equipment costs 10,000 more upfront, front. Or whatever the number is, but it allows you to not have to rebuy a forklift upgrade down the road and, and spend another $250,000 on a, a new router or something like that. Right, so, it may not
2: be obvious just comparing the two brochures right next to each other is my impression. Yeah, exactly. so <laughs> they're both and, probably going to make similar claims, but you don't really necessarily know which is going to really actually do it those things are right. often you know i've i've i I did programming back in the day and i just remember that the, the sales people weren't as related to the uh, development people <laughs> that's a good
0: promises. point yeah exactly right
2: so one of the things that um, that I was interested in was um, that the price for the service from the competitor goes up right across the city lines. You'd said, and and is that something that just drives resentment in in the community? Do people even know it? Is what I'm wondering.
0: The people are aware of it, and they're very frustrated by that. And uh, yeah, basically, wherever our service area is, the bill for the other provider is about. It's it's half of what it is if you're if we're not in the service area and there's a lot of townships uh, in Wadsworth that we would love to be in that we're not currently in and it's hard because there's so much investment and in construction for these areas you know that, that they're like 400 feet off the road and there's you know good distance between them and their next neighbor and you, with anything you have to build a business case of why you're going to build there and unfortunately you know we'd love to be in every township but we need to make sure that we don't put ourselves out of business in the process of trying to get there as well. So, but yeah, the people I, we hear stories, we've had emails and phone calls, people call in and say, you know, this stinks, you know, my, my friend who lives just over a street, you know, that's in your service area, their bill is this and I'm paying this for the same services. And, you know, we'd love to help them. And, you know, we are working on other strategies, too. So the cable modem system will not be our final solution, you know, for for internet in the city, we're, already looking at plans for fiber to the home and things of that nature. So
2: have you considered the, uh, the crowd fiber type of route, or I know that there's, um, Neighborhood um zones, what's it? Um, the cos fiber product. hoods, maybe? Yeah, I mean, was, there's different products that I didn't want to pick favorites or you know, put my thumb on the scale, but yeah, that approach where people can sort of demonstrate demand. Mm-hmm. Um, have you and I know that there's, there's we've talked on this show multiple times about how there's there's pluses and minuses with that kind of an approach, but have you considered that?
0: Yeah, we certainly have considered it, and um, I think it makes a lot of sense, really. I mean. You might as well build to the areas that have the most interest first, you know, just so that you're spending your your money in, in a wise uh, situation and getting people the services that they want faster. And I think with the model like that, what you start to see is, OK, you built here in this neighborhood, then you built in this one. And those people really start to rave about the service. Right. And now all the people that want now there starts to be more interest in the other areas. And before you know it, it's like, OK, we got to build the whole city which is great. You know, that's ultimately what you want when you're trying to provide a good service to everybody. But the construction aspect of this stuff is a huge, huge undertaking. And um, we do everything in house. So we don't have any contractors that do any part of our service. So everything from directional boring to aerial stuff, to underground stuff, you know, um, all the construction aspects, the fiber splicing, all the electric that goes to these places, the conduit piping that's ran There's not one contractor that's called out to do this. So that's pretty unique as well. And I think that that is one of the things that kind of keeps the level of our service really high, though, because, you know, if you're doing all the work yourself as a a crew, you care about I'm not I don't want to dog contractors, there's a lot of good Mm -hmm. contractors out there to do good work. And we depend on contractors for other things in the city, too. So the contractors are good, but when you're doing that, um, these guys aren't getting paid per job or anything like that. You know, they're, they're getting paid for throughout the day for what gets accomplished. So they're going to make sure that it's of a high quality.
2: No, that's something that's you worked your way up to. And so if you're advising someone that might be starting off new, I think, um, would you say to be you know, I, I don't think you can make a general rule. Everyone's geography is different, and that sort of a thing. But um, you know, would you say that it was a, a good decision at the time to start with more contractors and then work your way to bringing everyone in house?
0: I think there's situations where it makes total sense to use contractors for things, even now today. It's just that you know you got to look at every case and lay out the pros and cons and the cost benefit analysis and see does this make the most sense. You know, and there's plenty of times where okay, these contractors are experts in this area and they're going to do a better job than we will. Mm -hmm. So we just happen to have a really vast crew where we can do a lot. So we're lucky in that regard. But yeah, sure. If somebody else is starting out directional boring and stuff, maybe they're going to contract that out. Maybe they don't even have ownership of the utility poles. So they're going to have to utilize some contractors for things. So yeah, I mean, just look at every single aspect. You just got to keep in mind that the service is the culmination of all of those things. So, you know, you could have the best uh, programmers in the world or the best system administrators in the world, but if your customer service reps aren't good, or if your people running the actual uh, drops to the houses, aren't doing a good job, then it doesn't matter if those other things are good because their experience is still going to be bad. So it's got, the whole thing's got to be good.
2: That leads into one of the things that that you've emphasized before too, which is, uh, um, don't start with something if you can't deliver it well. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you put a bad taste in people's mouth, it takes a long time to get rid of it.
0: Yeah. Uh, earlier I said word of mouth is everything. I'm, I'm telling you, if you if you rush a service, if you get into this thing just because you, you, know, you want to and you haven't thought out everything, and it will bite you way worse than just taking an extra year or two and getting your ducks in a row and making sure that you're delivering a solid product because once people have tried something and they've left it, They're very unwilling to come back a second time for one, and they're going to make sure that they tell everybody what a bad experience it was. And so now all these future potential um, subscribers will have maybe a wrong viewpoint. And unfortunately, I've seen it firsthand because when we started, we were not the fastest Internet provider in town. That other monopoly had a much faster network than us at the time. Um, Hands down, no comparison. We had better customer service than they did, hands down. But guess what? A lot of people said, well, that's great, but most of the time the service is going to work and I'm only going to interact with the customer service when it's not. So I'd rather have the better speed. And so we were missing a lot of customers early on because of that. So that's when we took our time, got the speed thing figured out. And it was it was challenging because some people that had us before said, well, you know, I had your service four years ago and it wasn't it wasn't as fast as I wanted it to be. What makes you think it's going to be better now? And now you've got to go through this whole thing. Well, in those four years, we did this. We did that. This is different. Why don't you give it a shot? And if you're still unhappy, you can leave, but I think we'll, we're going to think that you're going to like it. And, uh, and that's worked and it, it's a slow process, but now that we've got, you know, years under our belt of high performance, now we're having to do a lot less of that convincing because people are doing that for us. And one thing that we decided to do too, which we think is a good model, we're offering every service that we have for, fr- uh, for free for 30 days.
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that.
0: Yeah. So basically it's the, don't take our word on it. Why don't you try it out free for, for a month? we feel that after a couple of days, you're going to realize that this is a good service and you're not going to want to give it up. So, and that I think has helped a lot too.
2: Now, one of the things that I, I've seen this with a couple of folks, but you got rid of email. I feel like you're just trying to get rid of things that that you don't have to do to keep your plate a little bit more simple.
0: Yeah. It's um, when I first started in 06, I, we, you know, this is one of those learning experiences that we were kind of talking about earlier. It's um, we felt we had to do everything, you know, we got to, we have to host email. We have to host websites for people. We have to, be an internet provider. We have to do all this because guess what? Other people are. I don't know if it was a wrong move at the time, but it became very clear that when you don't have um, all the people in the world to do every type of service, you need to kind of, it's kind of like the Steve Jobs mentality at Apple, right? Like, I think he kind of got people to say, look, we have 12 products or whatever. Let's focus on just four. Same idea. We just decided, look, look at the amount of manpower it's taking to run an email server fighting spam every day. And then what it was doing I honestly believe that getting rid of email is one of the crucial things we did in order to change our image and get faster speeds. Because what that did was by, by um, outsourcing that, and here's a classic case of where using a contractor is great. You know, we're outsourcing with a, with a company that's running our email for us. So that could be viewed as a contractor in a way, software as a service. Mm-hmm. So basically by doing that, it freed up time. And that time was then better spent in, okay, let's learn more about this infrastructure. Let's be proactive instead of reactive. And uh, over the course of years, that starts to then evolve into a better service. And I don't miss the the email one bit. I mean, it's a tough service to run, so... It sounds easy because people use email, right? Like if you've used email, which most people, I I would imagine, have, it's simple. You're just replying the messages and all that. But when you're running the back end of an email server, <laughs> fighting the spam, doing all that, that is a full time job for somebody.
2: Yeah, no, I'm. You know, I, I barely missed the command line email. I, I sort of remember Pegasus. I remember Eudora. I, I go back more than uh, like yeah. twenty five years on email, but um, 20, 2006 and seven. That's like, I mean, that's sort of the magic time of the dark days. It was so awful. I remember the, in the early podcast. When they were just starting out, John C. Dvorak would be everyone would call him I get no spam, John C. Dvorak, because you had companies that just specialized in doing nothing but that. And, and Gmail ultimately, you know, was sort of like one of the major, but it, for people who weren't around in that time, like it was so miserable to use email if you didn't have just the perfect spam filters and the right technology.
0: It certainly was. And I remember specifically in that time frame, you know, you would get on, um, they, they had these things, uh, the, the blacklist for email or whatever. And the, spam lists and uh they you get on one of those and it would just affect your ability to email anywhere (laughs) yeah the black holes
2: yeah yeah
0: and then you would spend the next two or three days basically doing the formal process of asking for forgiveness on these websites and then i just remember the conversations with our customers going our customers want to be able to receive and send email or send email they're still receiving email and we would have to tell them well we don't know when it's going to be fixed. And they're like, what do you mean you don't know when it's going to be fixed? I said, well, our stuff is actually working, but everybody else in the world is blocking us right now just because of this one bad thing that happened a day ago. And yeah. I remember that. And it's just, I, you know, not the type of service level we, we wanted to have with our customers. So that's another reason we, we went a different route and we've never looked back. And sure, whenever you make any change of that magnitude, you're going to have some people that get upset, right? Because it's a change, it's new. They got to learn something different but when they understand the benefits of what it's going to do for them. So I remember specifically cases where somebody was like, Oh, well, if you do that, I'll be able to, to have more storage space with this and, and I'll be able to keep more email or I'll be able to send email even when I'm overseas, because we were blocking some foreign IP addresses from Europe and things like that. Well, yeah, you'd be able to do that. Well, Oh, cause I travel to Europe all the time. So that would actually be a benefit. Almost everybody can, if you talk to them enough and, and let them see the the good things they'll, they'll be uh they'll jump on board with you. And once people saw that and the, the other thing we did was we didn't just say, you know, on this date, you're on your own. We, our customer service reps spent months working with every single person on an individual level to transfer their contact address uh, book and, and mail. So they didn't lose any messages. They didn't lose any contacts and we made that process completely seamless for them. And then before the date that we were going to stop posting email and we made sure that everybody was on the new system and working fine. So as long as you don't make people feel like they're on their own, as long as you help them, you know, they're usually on board.
2: Yeah. And I think it, it helps to have that built up goodwill prior to that with uh, a history of, of that not playing gimmicks with the marketing and, uh, and all that sort of thing. For sure. Um, Well, this is great. Let me ask you if there's anything else that we haven't covered that you think would be a good window into why CityLink is special.
0: I'll just go back to um, uh, something I just uh, found out this week, actually. So just to give you an idea of the type of service that we offer for our residents, we had a situation where somebody was moving out of uh, an apartment and our installer was called to disconnect the service, which they were going to do and everything was fine. Well, the new tenant had already moved in to the building and they hadn't made up their mind on which provider they were going to go with yet. And they just happened to see the city link truck out there and they walked outside and asked our um, installer what was going on. And he mentioned, well, you know, we're disconnecting from the person that was here previously and all that. And he goes, is there any way that I could just get hooked up with you since you're here right now? <laughs> and typically I think what you'd find out with most of the other providers is they would say, well, if you want that, you've got to call in and get an account and then we'll come back out again and get you hooked up. So what our installer decided to do, and I think this is such a cool story. He decided to call into the office right away and said, look, the guy that's moving in, he, he wants our service. I'm already here. Can we just get him an account set up and I could just, you know, reconnect what I just disconnected and he could be up right now instead of having to wait a couple of days or whatever. And they said, sure. And they created everything. And he ended up hooking the new person up on when he was there on that initial call. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that person was so happy that they actually, wrote in an email to the management team of CityLink, and just wanted to just praise how awesome of an experience it was. And, and I'd like to say that, you know, stuff like that happens with our, with our service every week. I mean, there's someone that's getting extraordinary customer service that they weren't expecting. And and we just like to do it because we like to keep our um, subscribers happy. We love to gain new subscribers and we, it's a community. This is a community based ISP. You're part of the community. We want you to feel that you're in it with us and we want to, you know, it's just a really cool experience to work for like a a small place that actually cares about something other than just the bottom line, you know?
2: Yeah. Especially if you, uh, if you grew up there. Exactly. It's
0: really special for someone like me. That's, that's, you know, went through the school system here and then came back to, to live here. And, um, yeah, I just Wadsworth is a very special place for me for sure
2: i wanted to I just want to get a quick verification. So when you said the townships earlier, um so does Wadsworth serve all of the homes within the city lines of Wadsworth and then some of the surrounding area as well, or are there places within Wadsworth that are not connected right now?
0: So the entire Wadsworth City is connected with CityLink. and then there's townships where it's hit or miss mm-hmm. Now all of those townships have Wadsworth electricity. Um, it's just hit or miss on whether the city link cable and internet and phone service is available in those parts. We've installed it as many places as we can. And and we're always looking to maybe expand, but right now we're at a crossroads with, well, if we're going to build something new, it's probably going to be the next generation of our internet service, which is probably going to be fiber to the home, Mm -hmm. you know? So at this point uh, there's been a lot of discussion in the city over the last couple of years about fiber to the home. And it looks like uh, it's getting closer to becoming uh, a reality. So Cool. I have, I have good hopes for it.
2: Yeah, keep us posted then
1: as, as things move on. It's been really sure. great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me again, Chris. Appreciate it.
1: That was Christopher talking with Steve Lang. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at community nets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.